fellows, it's super good to be back together again today, and we are talking about the imprecatory psalms, which just just that name imprecatory doesn't really sound overly nice. You know, it's not like, hey, mom, I want imprecatory for my birthday. It's uh, imprecatory itself is the, these are the psalms where basically we are asking God to destroy people. What and does I, imprecatory mean? It, it, means it means get them, God. Get them, God. Em. <laughs> and let, let me throw out an example, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to spend our time hashing this out. But uh, Psalm 58, verse 6 is just an example. Here, uh, David is praying, and his prayer is, O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Right? Okay, so so there's this calling on God to do this to people that David knows. And when we approach Scripture, and this is what I'd love for us to hash it out about, is as we approach Scripture, uh, should if I if my coworkers or my boss or my mother-in-law uh, is, uh, is if I'm having conflict with them, like, can I confidently, this, this, the Word of God never changes, God never changes, can I pray Psalm 58, verse 6, towards my mother-in-law, even yeah, though... It just doesn't seem right. <laughs> well, let me give you another example. Uh, it's, a, it's also a colossal case of what I call selective Bible reading. After Psalm 23, what's the most famous psalm? 139, most likely, uh, yeah. 139. So you have this great and glorious description of God knowing us, and we can never escape his presence, and we're formed in the womb, and he knows us from birth. Mm-hmm. And then everybody reads the last two verses of the Psalms. You know, it's their prayer, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. And it's very interesting how they conveniently ignore verses 18 through 22. Mm-hmm. So right after David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, i got to change my Tone of voice when I say that. You know, how vast is the sum of them? He then he says in the very next breath, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And then listen to this. Do I, David, not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then he closes again with this very well-known passage. And how many people actually read and pay attention to verses 19 through 22? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, they're and, not and, memory verses. And what does that yeah. do to the old uh, love the sinner, hate the sin? Yeah. Here's David. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I loathe them. Yeah. And w- Can you imagine about- somebody coming up and having those as memory verses? And yeah. what you would think of them, say, my favorite verse in all the Bible is this. And they say, you'd be like... I hate those who hate you. And I hate them bring... with complete hatred. <laughs> but if we would have asked David, maybe he was like, you know, hey, what were some of your favorite things that God had you write in Scripture? He might have said that verse, yeah. you know? Yeah. He could approach that. And I think when we look culturally, you know, many Christians uh, interacting with Planned Parenthood and what's happening with them, you think about ISIS and yeah. all the beheadings and yeah. stuff. And Boko like, Haram, yeah. kidnapping and sexually using girls, um, exactly. you know, hundreds of them. I read the imprecatory Psalms in light of those events, and I say, yeah, but... Well, I read it in light of the Grinch who stole Christmas, and yeah. where he says, hate, 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 double hate, loathe entirely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the Grinch. 
You know, he's supposed to say that kind of stuff. Well, but uh, well, is, but are you supposed Grinch? to say that stuff? Yeah. Are you supposed uh, to are say we it? supposed to be the Grinch? Well, are these inspired texts? I mean, I I was looking back through uh, some of the, the the things I had read on the imprecatory Psalms, and it's amazing how otherwise seemingly really evangelical authors say things like these are cold-blooded expressions of malignant cruelty and must never be regarded as inspired. Mm. Mm. C.S. Lewis called these psalms devilish. Uh. Mm. Um, Peter Craigie, one of the great Old Testament commentators, said bluntly, these psalms are not the oracles of God. Mm. So what are we to do? I mean, are are these just psalmist and Old Testament, uh, otherwise seemingly godly people having a bad day? And just blurting out their most venomous reactions, and we're supposed to say, okay, maybe these are like uh, some of the stories and the speeches in Job. They're only there; they're recorded because that's what they said and felt. But they're not prescriptive or normative for us. Yeah. How do we approach these kinds of texts? Well, because then if you do that, I mean, you are on a slippery slope. Because then what you're basically saying is, if it feels good to you, it was probably written by God. But if it doesn't feel good to you, you well, know, not then... necessarily not written by God, but things that aren't prescriptive, possibly. Yeah, that aren't telling us this is what we're supposed to do. Okay, because well, that so let's is a go common there, interpretation. Then. Is are the prescriptive things only the things that you feel good about being prescribed? Those, but but then, so you'd say, well, that's descriptive because I don't want to say that to anybody because that's not politically I mean, correct. Well, what about Job's friends? I mentioned that. Job's friends, none of us, I don't think any evangelical, would say that their perspective on Job's suffering or their concept of God is one that we're supposed to embrace. Yeah. Well, because I mean, God yeah. comes at the end and calls him out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it's and we have an easier time discerning because they're Job's friends, even though some of what Job's friends say is correct. And I've even heard people quote Job's friends from memory as memory verses. But at the same time, they are Job's friends, and it's easier to discern. But this is David. He's yeah. probably one of the least vengeful men in the entire Bible. Yeah, think yeah. about it. All the opportunities he had to get Saul and other things, and he was—he's a, a very peaceable man. And, and he was very speaking. passive as well, especially whenever it comes to his own problems and his own sins and dealing with those in the past, and you know how he dealt with Absalom and was very passive with him, which was ended up being a bad thing because yeah. he would not give any imprecation toward Absalom. He was not. Uh, he was not forthright, but here he is being forthright with his enemies. And maybe it's earlier in his life whenever he felt a little bit more self-righteous. I, I don't know. But you see very early in his life where he's refusing to kill Saul, though. Yeah. And he has every right to to true. pray these and act this way against Saul as That's well. That's true. So, uh, yeah. Well, now I'm more confused than ever. Sam, why did you bring this up? Well, <laughs> I just am glad you coined a new word. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Imprecation. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what you do when you pray an imprecatory psalm, but you just imprecated somebody. That's right. <laughs> that's, i got to be careful. That's a dangerous word. Well, guys, let me pose a question that I'm chewing on. Is there a difference with Jesus' arrival, his life, his death, his resurrection? Is there a difference in how we look at this chapter pre-Jesus coming and post-Jesus coming? Absolutely, there needs to be. I mean, this is highlighting one of the great weaknesses of American evangelicals. We're not great with biblical theology, defined as reading the Bible in order. You know, so mm. we're we're pretty strong on systematic theology. What does the whole Bible say about prayer? Yeah. What does the whole Bible say about hell? We're weak on 
what's the significance of the fact that Isaiah comes before First Peter? Mm. <laughs> and why should I care? And, and how does that change the way I read Isaiah? Yeah. I'm just impressed you finally spoke up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was exercising my listening gifts, which aren't really uh, commendable on a radio broadcast. <laughs> Would it surprise anyone to know that Jesus basically spoke words of imprecation? You remember Matthew 23 when he's denouncing the Pharisees? He Mm. said things like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he says, uh, fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Yeah, those 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 of us who have a robust awareness of of how jacked up humans are, I don't know that we have a huge sticking point with God making judgmental pronouncements. I think we probably have a bit of a sticking point with a fellow worm doing it to his fellow worms. You know, where does David get off making these pronouncements? And what does Paul later on say about what we're to do to our enemies? You know, it's uh, uh, Christ says, bless those who curse you. And uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to heap coals upon their head by leaving judgment to God and Mm -hmm. and basically staying silent and staying out of the judgmental business with our enemies at least. What's the significance of Israel being a theocracy, you know, and somebody making physical war upon the nation of Israel and what that meant about those people's intent against uh, Mm. the God who'd founded this nation? I think we got to get to this whole idea of the retributive principle as well. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term. But Let's, let, what I, that? I'm that in imprecation. I yeah, think that's right. <laughs> the retributive principle <laughs> has been very helpful for me, and, and several uh, Old Testament scholars have pointed out that there is this dynamic where there is a biblical truth that for, and you guys tell me if you agree with this interpretation that several scholars have put forward, but um, is, is that... Uh, People of, of faith, like David, took a truth and then added a half-truth to it and all of a sudden ended up with a lie. So the truth was God will punish the wicked and he will reward the righteous. That's clearly taught in Scripture. God explained that to the Jews. Um, he explained to them that ultimately that's the way the world works. Now, of course, because of the unfolding of Revelation, he didn't explain to him exactly how he was going to make that all work. And so you get things like Psalm 73. What's going on, Lord? The wicked are flourishing and the righteous are not, you know, it's going to stumble me. It's going to make my foot slip. And what, yeah. is, what does he ultimately say? It wasn't until I went into the temple and I saw their end, behold, you've set them in slippery places. And so mm. he had to get sort of a peek behind the veil that God wasn't letting people off the hook. Um, he wasn't some uh, bamboozled, you know, senile grandfather on the porch. Nothing was getting by him. It just wasn't happening So are yet. you saying that? After David came to this revelation and the peak behind the veil that he no longer wrote imprecatory psalms. Well, first of all, David didn't write Psalm seventy three. But my point is, is that boom, is that 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 you know, I'm just sinking. Low right now. Michael, get off the floor. It's, it's okay. You can join the conversation. Uh, is that you know? So he, the truth is, is that God blesses the righteous and punishes the wicked. So then, the what they extrapolated from that, the scholars argue, and I, and I find this persuasive, is that therefore anyone who suffers is being punished by God, and anyone who's prospering is being blessed by God. Well, so now you begin to understand some of the outrage. God, this is actually maligning your reputation. If the righteous are continued to be kicked to the curb and the wicked keep flourishing, isn't that bad on you, God? Don't you want to rise up and vindicate your own name if the wicked keep getting away with stuff? Doesn't that affect your reputation? Are you saying then that there's no direct application to where we can say the t- same type of things 
two people. Well, and who, again, see, I don't. I think it's. I don't want to be cute and dodge that question. It's just we tend to ask that one first, and we should ask it last because again, we're weak on biblical theology. So we need to understand this song. Well, it's and coming it's close place, to being last. You know, <laughs> and it's place in unfolding narrative of redemptive history and David's place. It is different than our vantage point. Uh, yeah, but how's that for? How's a yeah, but? Yeah, nice transition. Um, yeah, push back, push back. What about Paul's prayer uh, or statement in 1 Corinthians 16? He closes the letter by saying, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Mm-hmm. That's a prayer request. And the word there is anathema, let him come under the wrath and judgment of God. Same thing we find in Galatians 1 8. Everyone knows this. If anyone should preach, a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, let him be anathema. Or uh, Paul in 2 Timothy 4.14 when he says uh, regarding Alexander the coppersmith, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Uh, We have a number of these kinds of declarations in the New Testament as well. They're not obviously as graphic as the ones we've read from uh, the Psalms, but the, the principle of imprecation is even, I mean, think about something as simple as the Lord's Prayer. When you and I pray, thy kingdom come, we think of that in glowingly positive terms. Oh, the expansion and the growth of God's kingdom and his sovereign rule. Well, guess what? Those who resist it are going to be crushed when God's yeah. kingdom comes. Uh, so when you're praying, thy kingdom come, you are implicitly and directly asking for God to judge and to overcome and vanquish those who oppose it. Well, and the difficulty is, though, coming back to the difficulties, is is looking at Jesus once again, and people will bring up, and, and my thoughts get brought up, is what did he say from the cross about his enemies? You know, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was no imprecation at that point coming from Christ. Well, and and that's, you know, I think that would be more significant if it was his first and only coming, right? You know, so, I mean, he very deliberately explained that he had two comings that had two very different purposes. When he appears with a sword and words written on his thigh and the blood goes up to the bridles in the book of of Revelation, then all of a sudden, you're right, Sam, you have something that people like to think of as an Old Testament picture, and there it is, smack in the New Testament, you know, of, of a great battle yeah, scene but and people I, I don't, being slaughtered. And you read in Revelation 19, all of heaven is rejoicing about the judgments that are being poured out upon the unbelieving of the earth. And yeah. that's true. But again, we look at Christ and we see he has every right to bring about judgment. He has every right to say things that are accurate about someone. But here's David bringing about curse on his enemies, and we think, Hey, I mean, do you really know them? Do you really get? Are you trying to 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 understand them? Are you trying to help them? Are you are you looking at it from their perspective? I, I mean, it's just he is unable to see things from our perspective. I know he's inspired, but from our perspective, it's like God, he's just coming down awfully judgmental. Is a little well, bit of this like an embassy bombing in the sense of you know an, a, to attack? An Israelite to attack the nation of Israel is to declare war against God. I mean, aren't those things sort of intertwined? And here's David as a Israelite king saying, hey, you don't understand. You're not just fighting me. When you fight me, you're actually, when we're not in an unrepentant state as a nation, you know, pursuing idolatry, when we're actually worshiping God, you know, you're resisting the, the creator of the universe. Well, and to go back to David, like you see that in David and Goliath in that story as well, is that like what David is so upset at is how this giant 
thinks that he can speak this way about God's people, you know, and so David is overwhelmed with this thought of like, how can you speak that way? What a great example. God's he people? seemed to have genuine sort of righteous indignation. Yeah, he has yeah. righteous anger that I'm yeah. going to cut your head off because yeah. how could you even dare speak this way against God? Let me, let me back up for just a second. Let, let's get one thing settled as much as we can. I don't know if we're going to agree. I'm assuming we're all going to agree on this, except for Michael. Okay, yeah. I'm going to uh, say the definitive thing. You'll all agree, uh, and we'll all live happily ever after. There are no fewer than 36 psalms out of 150. 36. One-fifth, more than one-fifth, that have extended imprecations. Imprecatory, imprecatory prayers, all right? <laughs> we have numerous other texts. Michael, you and I were talking earlier about uh, this passage from Nehemiah. Is it chapter 4? Yeah. Um, numerous others mm-hmm. in the Old Testament as well. Are we in agreement that, obviously, they are inspired? God preserved them for us in Scripture. But do we agree or not that they are normative and prescriptive in some sense, in in some capacity. In other mm-hmm. words, are we are, are, are we going to take the side of those who say, look, we have to realize the psalmist were earthy, highly emotional individuals who were in, living in a, a culture that was constantly under engaged in battles and wars and pagans who were threatening them. And therefore, we, need, we just need to let them be human and let them vent their own vitriol against their enemies. Are we going He's to really read demeaning those? my position right and, now? Before and, I can even and JJ's say position. Are we well. going to? <laughs> oh no! Don't smuggle me into that. I agree with Sam. You're right. We. What I are we going to do with those? I, I want to contextualize them, but I don't want to explain them away. And I don't yeah. think we should be embarrassed by them. And I don't think we should apologize for them. And I don't think we get to selectively make them human only and not divine. I agree with you. I think it's just important that we do still contextualize them. Okay, well, let's. Could we go around the four of us? Well, let me say okay, one real quick before. Let's just be clear about one thing. In saying contextualize them, and I know you're not saying this, but I want our listeners to be sure. We're not arguing that the the, the God of the Old Testament is different from the Father of Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. not. Because a lot of people think right. that they say, "Oh, that's the God of that's the vengeful, vindictive bully of the Old Testament." Same but God. the Father of Jesus, well, he's a lovable teddy bear, big Santa Claus in the sky. Yeah. We're not going anywhere near that. We're talking about one God, the only God, the Father of our Lord Jesus And I think we would also say, all of us would agree, every bit of these are just as inspired as anything else in the Bible. It's just a matter of interpretation. It's not that that we're saying that these people don't deserve judgment any uh, more than we deserve judgment. Um, what we're saying is, uh, what we're, I think what we're dancing around is, should we pray like this? Yes. And, I, I and that's where I think we have to say uh, yes and no. Or yeah. should we think like this? <laughs> well, Peter, um, in, uh, in, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1, invokes the imprecation from Psalm 69 on Judas for his betrayal mm-hmm. of Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Paul, in Romans 11, invokes the imprecations of Psalm 69 to describe the hardening that has come upon Israel. So here are two apostles who are citing Old Testament imprecations and applying them to circumstances in the New Covenant. Yeah, and I think where some people get really messed up on this too is what we've alluded to as well, is that 
too many Christians have have a wrong view of the Old Testament that the idea is that God is angry in the in the Old Testament and he's nice in the New Testament. And I would say if that's your view, you just haven't read the Old Testament enough. You and yeah, read the, the book of Revelation or, or the enough. New. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you need to read both because you should you should be overwhelmed by God's grace as much in the Old Testament as in the New Testament because he is slow to anger. He's gracious. Um, and you're and, not speaking about anything that's far and distant. I mean, there are people from the very beginning of church history, Marcion, right. yeah. who has separated the Old and the New Testament, and people who are doing it even today yeah. in it, practical means to where they don't read the Old Testament because it's too... I know a very good Christian who just says, I don't read the Old Testament because it's just too hard. It's or too, too bloody. Yeah, what I hear. Yeah. yeah. And we need to, we need to grow up. We need to sit at the big kids table and we need to realize that like our God is so loving. He reaches out his hand to us, but he is just and he is a consuming fire and i think what these allow us to see is i think these imprecatory psalms lean towards us realizing the 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 vast sin that is committed against the holy god and that he is just you know so like so i'm going to offer a prayer that i pray or that i feel so if i see isis uh beheading somebody and I know that they're some, they have some sort of a, a Muslim belief of, of Islam. I'm not saying that they believe the, like what all Muslims believe. But if I see ISIS beheading someone, I know in my mind that the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the roles is to convict the world of sin. And so I'm praying, God, please crush those people. Crush them so deeply that they can't even sleep at night tonight, that they are thinking about what they've just done. No, you're saying crush some, them spiritually so that they come to some yeah, type of repentance. You're but, it, it's even physical in the sense of I'm not saying God kill them right now, but I'm saying like break their teeth in a sense that they feel ruined. So they, you're not saying like you would call upon God to kill them like David. That's made. correct, but because I would because what I know is that Jesus offers them salvation. Yep. And at the very most, so Jeffrey Dahmer, let's take Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, you think of Jeffrey Dahmer, he's been one of the most heinous uh serial killers ever. And we he was think a cannibal. That, yeah, he was a cannibal, horrendous. But in prison, we have very reliable evidence that he trusted Jesus as a savior. And he was beaten to death because he trusted Jesus as a savior. And so I believe he's a Christian martyr, potentially, and may even be close to the throne of God. And we could say, that's outrageous. Jeffrey Dahmer cannot be in heaven. But it's like, yes, that's the outrageous nature of what Jesus did on the cross. So an ISIS person, I'm going to be praying that God crushes them to Jesus, knowing that if they don't trust Jesus, they are fully but responsible. That's a whole for different interpretation. Well, well, no, but I'm praying that, that's, them a, that's a sins. New Testament type interpretation of trying to it's, kind it's, of filter it through the old. But I'm asking God to crush them, and I'm I'm very boldly saying, God, the leaders of Planned Parenthood, like ruin their lives, make it so that everything about their lives fall apart, and the only thing that they have when they look up is Jesus standing there offering them. So guys. We need to do something. We need to do another program. We obviously a sequel is coming. That's right. On this I feel one. a sequel. So we we all need to come back. And I want to hear and from here, you guys. And here's what we have to do. Number one, we have to ask: How do we reconcile the New Testament ethic of loving your enemies? I'm talking about Matthew five forty four. Love yes. your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How do we reconcile that with these imprecatory prayers? And then secondly, how, if at all, as Tim just made an, a good effort to do so, do we incorporate, or maybe not at all, this kind of sentiment or thought process or into our prayer lives? 
Should we speak those kinds of prayers? Under what circumstances is that legitimate for a new covenant Christian? Next are you time. are you going to give a preview of a yes or no? No, on your that's side? oh, I'm just baiting our audience. <laughs> okay, well, we'll uh, pick this up next time, Tim. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you. Thank you.